0: Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew
1: and I'm Rachel
0: and we are Picture the Scene podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you the listener at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And with any true crime podcast, listening discretion is always advised and today's episode is definitely no exception because it involves themes of child sexual abuse. Wonderful. Now
1: Thank yes, you. Wonderful.
0: Forgive me for not going into specific detail on the crimes as I go about them today or in this episode. I do see what they are, but I don't go into as much detail as I could, simply because I don't really want to, because it revolts me, and I don't think we need to. That's okay, <sighs> isn't it, Rage?
1: It is okay, and uh, I'm grateful that you're not going to go into too much detail.
0: If you like what you hear... It always sounds weird saying if you like what you hear. I'm going to maybe switch that around, listeners, in the future, because I, I tell people to be careful and I ask you if you like it. Um, if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred pro- podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It really means well to us, doesn't it, Rage?
1: Yes, it does, and, um, I agree with you if you like what you hear because it comes just after that warning, so um let's switch over that uh, but yeah, we love your ratings and reviews, and uh we continue they continue to make us smile
0: they do indeed, even the constructive ones
1: absolutely every day is an opportunity to learn,
0: yes, indeed, except that day when you don't get dressed and you just watch daytime t v all day.
1: And that is an opportunity to recoup from all the learning.
0: Yes, indeed. (laughs) So if you like is that much that you want. We have to get a little bit of humour in now because this is going to be a heavy episode, people. So if you like is that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon with our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. And we release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes. Or visit patient.com forward slash scene pod. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash S C E N E P O D. And now you we... lucky
1: buggers get to listen and watch our um, live that we had in July. Yes. And um, we are hoping to host one of these like every quarter. Every quarter, yes, every few months. Um, So if you, if you like and subscribe, on Patreon now, you can be part of our next live. How exciting!
0: Indeed, indeed. And we do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you don't have to be Mystic Meg to look into the future, you just need to subscribe to us on Patreon.
1: Oh, you've used Mystic Meg before, have I? You're finally, in the place. Oh, well, no. I think so.
0: I Probably have my memory so bad these days to mention.
1: But I was, do you know what? I was only wondering last time we recorded, um, when when we're gonna run out of, of references. Uh, <laughs> but do you know what? Hats off to you.
0: It's okay. I'll try not to. You've, you've I, lasted
1: I to, uh, like two and two years, nearly two years.
0: Well, it's something, yeah. But I'll, I'll try and keep a list. I didn't realize I'd done it before. Well, there you go. I'm obviously not missing my Because if I was. Oh, no, i said that in the past. (laughs) Hee-hee! So, how are you doing, Rachel?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Although, a little apprehensive about today's recording with all those warnings. But uh, so far, I'm great. I'm sparkling, as you would say. Um, But let's, I mean, ask me that question at the end of the episode. I might not give you the same answer.
0: Yes, that's good. And I guess the important question is, though, are you ready for some true crime?
1: Oh, always, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know how ready I am for this episode, but let's let's go for it. Let's just dive in.
0: Why not? I'm going to break with tradition today, everyone, and I'm not going to picture the scene today. Instead, I'd like to introduce you to someone. I'd like to introduce you to Alan Hopkinson. Alan was born in Eastbourne, which is a small town in England on the coast in the southeast. He was born in June of 1953 into a middle-class family as an only child. His mum was a stay-at-home mum, as was usual back then, and his dad worked for British Rail. In 1957, when he was four, his family decided to move to Africa, living in two different cities in what is now Zimbabwe, but it wasn't back then. At a young age, it was clear he stood out from his peers due to his levels of intelligence, and he achieved six O-Levels and three higher exams while at the Churchill High School for Boys in Salisbury, which is now called Herrera in Zimbabwe. He had several short-lived clerical jobs in officers before being forced into national service. By the time he was 21, he had completed two periods of service in the Air Force and experienced events he said scarred him for life, including when he had a position defending runways of an airport from rebels, and he had to bury the re- bodies of the rebels of the, near the airport. So, by the time he was 23, he was back in England, and he was in Sidcup staying with relatives. He moved between jobs, drifting, never really staying in one position, and he worked a wide variety of positions, from manual jobs, and as a labourer, to office jobs and admin jobs. And even though he didn't live alone, and he met lots of people due to working lots of jobs, he was always a loner, without any real friends. In 1981, his life changed somewhat, as he undertook a computers course, with computers being a brand new thing. And at the time, obviously it was 1981, and that's the area that he stayed in. Still moving jobs on occasion, but always jobs now that were related to computing. Now, Alan was still very smart, and he always has been smart, and he still is to this day. So he applied to join Mensa, and he had to take an IQ test to join. His results showed that he scored in the top 1% in the country, with an IQ of 159. In 1987, when he was 34, his parents moved back to England, and he simply reverted back to how he was before, and he moved in with them into their house. And something like they didn't mind at all. The longest job he had was for two years with the Bank of England, where he had a junior post in their computing department. It shows its age, because you don't get computing departments nowadays, do you? Everyone just mm. uses computers.
1: No, exactly. It's like, on your first day, it's like, right, there's your computer, kind of figure everything out, isn't it? But, um, yeah, quite a varied career, and uh, I can't imagine um the pain and suffering he might be going through from his his time um serving and um and probably with a lack in the early 80s late 70s of um emotional or um mental health support um like following a post like that
0: yeah definitely because it so wasn't just, even
1: yeah just to go back to to college and study and and you know even like take the Mensa test and, and qualify in the top one percent. They're all great achievements, but what's going on in his head as well? Like, can't yeah. help but think about that.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point, Rachel. And he, he really did revert into his shell even more after he moved in with his parents, only leaving the house to go to work. And he didn't have a single friend.
1: So how how old was he at that point?
0: He was thirty four when he moved in with his parents in nineteen eighty seven wow
1: okay so like the age where you should really be i mean in the late 80s married with children let's let's put a um let's put a uh label on it because you know that that was that like, common then wasn't it too yeah you, well you, you wouldn't have caught a lot of 34 year olds uh living with their parents but um like that's obviously completely changed nowadays but
0: yeah we it did it's funny you say that because he did however manage to find someone to have a relationship with and he started dating Jean who was his cousin and she moved into his parents' home and lived with them
1: wow i mean i've like when you said he he managed to find somebody i felt like you were like you know with that kind of wording he'd gone out and been like right i need to need to pick someone and hope that they love me, and then to find out that that was his cousin that's uh, I know uh, it's legal, but it's um that's also pretty savage, isn't
0: it? yeah, he um, because he didn't really interact with anyone, and the few people he did was his family because he had no choice, so yeah oh. he, he had a very small circle of people to choose from, so obviously his cousin is one of those. his parents' house was in Maidstone. And even though he didn't have any friends, he still managed to get himself a nickname. And can you guess what that nickname was, Rachel? Lona? No. Well, the nickname he managed to get himself was The Pervet. Oh. And, I mean,
1: um... nothing you have told me up until now would have indicated that that would have been his nickname in his defence.
0: Yeah, I'm going to let one of his former neighbours, Gloria Clout, tell us why. Okay. And this is what she had to say. We used to call him the pervert. He'd be out in the garden, pegging out the washing, and there would be a whistle. By instinct, you'd look up, and he would be standing in the upstairs window. He'd have nothing on.
1: I... Oh, is that voyeurism?
0: That's a, like, flashing type thing. You know, voyeurism is where you watch, but that's flashing type thing, yeah.
1: Oh, um, oh gosh. I mean, we all know there's been some debates, hasn't there, in previous, other, like other podcasts and chat channels about how um, things escalate from flashing, don't they? Yes. Um. Oh, that's awful. Oh, no.
0: Yeah, well, these days. And was
1: this when he lived with his parents, I mean? Yes,
0: in his parents' house.
1: Oh, God. Can you imagine, like, being and his a girlfriend knocking on and being yeah. like, Your son has just slashed me. And like, oh, that is not the kind of knock at the door that you want.
0: No, it's not, no. And these days it would be a crime to do that. But maybe, well, maybe back then it wasn't something taken as seriously. So nothing got reported to or dealt with by the police. It was just something a weird neighbor did.
1: It's mad, isn't it? Like, because it absolutely is a crime. And it's mad that... People saw it at any point as harmless, like
0: these days, people get put on a sex offenders register for that.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I think that they should. Like,
0: yeah, it's it's crazy how times change, isn't it? Yeah. By
1: July
0: 1990, he was still with his cousin Jean, but he was extremely withdrawn from society. He lost weight, and he wasn't really handling life very well. He began having fantasies, very disturbing fantasies, and he would record them in a diary that he kept himself, and he called the diary, The Evil Rapist. Oh no. As he was driving his car in July of 1990, he saw a girl, an 18-year-old French student, who was never named to protect her identity, and he decided he had to act grabbing a knife he was carrying with him for such an occasion he pulled his car up well it's actually when i say his car it's always his parents car but he pulled his car up just in front of the student as she walked down the road he jumped out of the car and he grabbed her now she fought she fought for her life which is so brave given he was wielding a knife but he fought back now a combination of the fact that this was his first time attempting this and her desire to live, and get to safety, meant that after five minutes or so of struggling, but what must have felt like a lifetime to this poor girl, she managed to break free and run. Now he didn't run after her, instead he quickly got in his car and drove away. Now the girl did report this to the police, but he was never caught, he was never punished for this act, so he could carry on in the future. Now the fact that he'd, failed didn't stop him it didn't make him think he got a lucky escape not to be caught it made him more determined to complete what he himself would later be found out that he would call his ultimate mission and his ultimate mission was to kidnap rape and keep young girls keep yeah well two young girls to be example that's what he's classed as the ultimate mission yes
1: oh my god so like have somewhere with a basement where he could like keep them.
0: Yeah, just keep them.
1: Oh my god.
0: So just four months after the attempted kidnap, Alan would find himself in his parents' car once more. Now they were abroad on holiday, but he still lived with his partner in their home. He was in his parents' car and he found himself outside of a school. He didn't know who he wanted but he knew he wanted and needed a young girl. Oh, God. As an 11-year-old girl, who would also be named nameless to protect her identity, as she left the school, he grabbed her, bundling her into the boot of his car. He would drive her to a wooded area, and he would rape her for the first time. Once he had done that, he put her back in the boot of his car and he drove her to his parents' house. Now, I'm not sure where his girlfriend Jean was, but I believe she wasn't in the house at the time. He would then rape and assault the girl several more times, keeping her tied up in a wardrobe, or actually it was a cupboard, in the house.
1: Oh my God, in his parents' house?
0: Yes. Three hours after he had arrived home, there was a knock on the door. It was the police. Before the girl had gone missing, Alan's behaviour around the school was class a suspicious so one was, of the yeah
1: sorry i was just about to say what are we now early 90s yeah 1990
0: yeah so there wasn't cctv but yeah
1: no but you've you've still got stranger danger um, yes. haven't you and um he's obviously not picking up dropping off children um so i was i was going to stop you earlier but i was just horrified by what you were telling me i was like why wouldn't a parent or a teacher have acknowledged that there was some like strange behavior coming from this guy that was scouting for, you know, for unknown reasons at the time. But uh, yeah, I'm so pleased that, that that was such a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because one of the parents noted his license plate number down because when they saw him, he wasn't actually doing anything wrong. With, he was just looking really suspicious. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so they wrote it down just in case. Now, after the girl had gone missing, the police... I obviously spoke to as many parents as possible. And it was doing that meant that they were given this license plate number. Now, you've got to remember, it was 1990. So it's not as easy to look things up for the police. And the car was his parents' car. So that's why it took them a few hours to arrive at his door. They only expected to make inquiries. But his behavior when he answered caused suspicion among them. And also, Mm -hmm. they had to rule him out. So they asked him whether they could search his property. And he said yes. And that's when they found a girl, traumatized but alive. Now, a detailed search of the property would find various sex toys that were involved in a crime, along with various types of what well, it's not called pornography, is it? But various types of child sex abuse material. And, but rather scaringly, they also found a story he had written about abducting a young girl. And it included all the things that he had done to her. And when the police read the story, they realised it was missing one thing. And do you know what that one thing was missing? Murder? Well, not quite. He hadn't wrote the ending yet.
1: Oh, God.
0: So they they believed he was going to kill her. And after he did, write the ending to complete the story.
1: What a sick man. Yes. And I'm glad that you corrected yourself there on the... When you use the word pornography, because it used to be called like child porn, didn't it? it? But it was I, like, yeah. I completely agree that that should not be the correct term because it almost glorifies it, doesn't it? It it is abuse, and it needs to be labelled as that, like, and not give justification to the individuals that partake in it. Which I feel the the term pornography does it justifies it, doesn't it? But it, uh, it
0: does. You're right. Yeah. It's because when I read all the various documents on this and the newspaper reports even in the court they yeah. described it as pornography which is yeah. why i kept having that in my head but yeah it's it's, yeah. it's 100% no, you're right. not pornography yeah
1: it's only in recent years probably the last like 12 and 18 months maybe that uh, that it's started being referenced otherwise so no I, d- I, d- I don't like blame you for the mishap it's it's an old case and it would be like referring to um Additional needs now as something incorrectly, yes. which, you know, we, we, we all make mistakes, don't we? But we're still learning. But, um, but no, I, I absolutely agree with you that uh, child abuse is the right term because it's just, it's just evil. Evil.
0: Exactly. So in his interview, he admitted, without trying to cover anything up, that he was sexually interested in female children. And he also admitted the attempted kidnap of the French girl. When he was sentenced at court, he was given a seven-year sentence, of which he actually served four years, almost four years. And he was also given a four-year sentence for the previous attempted kidnap, but that was to run concurrently. So he served almost four years.
1: This is mad. Like, four years for, you know, essentially he's written a story about his deepest, darkest like secrets and desires. He's just going to come straight back out and carry on.
0: Quite possibly, yeah. But, but we'll never know why, Rachel. But possibly because he admitted it in the first place or possibly possibly because of laziness. But he was not charged with rape. He was just charged with kidnap and indecent assault and the attempted kidnap of the French girl, which is why he got a, a shorter sentence. When... When he was in prison, he was a model prisoner. He would attend counselling and therapy sessions for sexual offenders in Dartmoor Prison. He would listen and he would agree with suggestions of what caused his paedophilic urges and how he could stop them. Now, reports are, although I couldn't find out who it was, but reports are that he shared a cell with a child killer and they would spend their time swapping stories, experiences and fantasies.
1: Oh, my God. So just egging each other on, encouraging each other with their thoughts and beliefs. Yes. Again, you know, not in prison for any, like, remedial, like, type um, behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he used his intelligence to study. He studied all he could under the guise of wanting to rehabilitate himself, and he studied all the current theories at the time on sexual offending including how offenders work on a cycle. They start with a small offence, like you mentioned before, in his case, flashing, and they work their way up to a number 10 on a scale of 10. Now, a number 10 was different for each offender, but for him, he actually used it as a goal. He wanted to kidnap two girls at once, and he set himself that target so he could reach the top of his scale. And he called this, as I mentioned earlier, his ultimate mission. Now, as part of his treatment, now I say allegedly because it's, it was alleged treatment, because it seems it was more for his pleasure. But he wrote a 25 chapter book called Foiling the Beast, in which his subject was why men dream and desire to abuse young girls. And he said this was just to help him rehabilitate. And the prison let this happen. Even disgusting, th- isn't yeah, it? it is. And now, even though he came across as a model prisoner, what the prisoner authorities 40s didn't know is that he had drawn, him- drawn himself a map of the Eastbourne area labelling all the local schools. He'd get photos of children out of the local paper and he'd cut them out. And then he'd use a prison phone book to try and find the addresses of the children, and he would note them on his map, ready for his release.
1: And tell me, would he have gone on the child sex offenders register?
0: It didn't, it didn't exist back then.
1: So once he was released from prison, he was free to be within the vicinity of a school. Yeah, whatever he wants. Oh so
0: even, God. yeah. Um, after the four years, well, almost four years, he was released on license. But this is where the system failed. Because he was never charged with rape only indecent assault and attempted an actual kidnap he was given a license to him of six months supervision in that six months he behaved perfectly he moved into a halfway house on his release and eventually found a flat above a shopping center in Eastbourne
1: tell me were his parents welcoming him back or yes. did he have to go alone
0: no he's he didn't leave with them again but they were more and he um yeah, he was welcomed back by his family.
1: That's mad, isn't it? Because he brought that drama and that chaos into their home. Yeah. And had the police not have by chance happened upon him during um his his abuse, um, you know, he may have killed in their home as well. And it's maddening, isn't it, that they would welcome him back.
0: Yeah, definitely. So to keep up the pretense that he had changed, he would spend a lot of time doing jobs for the family that he had in the area. Now his girlfriend, by the way, Jean, his cousin, she left him when he was arrested four years ago, so she she's not in the scene anymore. I, lo- yet, I love how you keep wondering.
1: on. I love how you refer to her <laughs> as his girlfriend and then his cousin. Like, yeah. you absolutely should because that's just like one of those things, isn't it? That still is blowing my mind that it's legal. But, um, but yeah, his I, girlfriend, I, his cousin.
0: Because I, I tell you why? Because I was reading an article this morning, believe it or not, before we started about the Brazilian footballer called the Hulk. His nickname was the Hulk, and he married his niece, and they had a baby. And I was reading that, like, if they have that second- legal. Yes, now I was reading that if they had a the second baby, then his children would not only be siblings; they'd be cousins. Oh, it just it just no. blew my it just blew my mind. I was like, and that's why I keep having cousins in my head because it's just anyway. So, um,
1: and uh, so it's legal to marry a niece.
0: Yes, because what happened was wow. he when he was playing in China, he took his niece with him, and he said. They got married, but he told everyone it was only because she could stay for the visa. They weren't together, but then they had a child. Um, but anyway, I'm digressing here. Um, so he told the police while I was on license that he got the local paper delivered because he wanted to keep up to date with the local news. In reality, he got it delivered because he carried on expanding his homemade map. He loves cutting photos out of the paper of girls who would want sporting events or in the ballet and similar things.
1: And isn't that crazy that, like, you, you think in your local paper you do have pictures of, of children in like, names, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they're in, like, gymnastics outfits or, you know, track and track and field kind of shorts, yeah. tops and stuff like that, or swimming, swimming costumes. And it's very innocent because you're just trying to celebrate... Their achievements, but there are sick people out there that are um are, are abusing those images, and it's mad. Is like this is mad. This case is mad. I don't like it. Can I tap out?
0: It's unfortunately not. So yeah, it, it's crazy, isn't it, with those photos? But you're right. It's especially back then. It's especially when like I see I go through the old newspapers for cases and stuff. You just see it all the time. He would spend his time walking to the houses of the girls he could find from the papers, walking past them, and also examining the schools that he mentioned, going to the schools and scoping them out. By his own admission, he would sometimes approach girls at the schools, starting conversations. He said that he wanted to form proper relationships with them. I'm saying he said this, obviously that wasn't possible, because it's grooming and abuse, but that's what he said, why he did it now the police are certain around his time that he was abusing some girls but they were never able to find any victims
1: and and this is the other thing as well again without the 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 positive of the internet nowadays is that um you know 11 12 13 year olds can talk to one another like in private about things that don't feel quite right or are odd whereas back then it would have been you know you'd have had to speak to your parents or somebody face to face to explain if there was some sort of emotional or physical abuse going on and as a child you don't really feel comfortable doing that do you so um so those children haven't come forward to someone because they've not had the privacy or the the confidence to do that in a in a face-to-face environment
0: exactly rachel exactly now to look at him alan he was very unassuming. By this time, he was a middle-aged man who dressed very well. He spoke softly, and he had obvious education. And he had, like, salt-and-pepper hair. He didn't look like what you'd stereotypically assume a predator would look like. He Did you just like... say
1: salt-and-pepper hair? Yeah. What's that?
0: That's where they have, like, black hair, but with grey specks in it.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. Never heard of that before.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, but I, 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 ask you, what should a predator look like?
0: Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, but when you say to someone like, yeah. what's a predator look like?" You, you, they describe someone, seedy and stuff, wouldn't they? But yeah, no, he looked like a respectable man.
1: Yeah, and and this is the thing, right? Um, when people come out, when news breaks about individuals or groups of people that are sinister like the neighbors come out don't they and and the the neighbor's cousins come out and say oh i always knew there was something about him but at the time no one says anything because they are unsuspecting aren't they um so yeah how often do we see that
0: now you have to remember though he was now living in a shopping center and he had no police supervision so let me ask you a question rachel especially before mobiles and the internet was prevailing, what type of people were attracted to shopping centres?
1: Young people for, well, nowadays, overpriced Starbucks. Um, But, yeah, young people for hangouts. It's warm, it's dry, and it's free.
0: Exactly right, groups of children. So he began having friendly chats with children inside of the shopping centre. And he was never pushy, he was never demanding, he was never threatening, he never asked them to do anything, he just spoke to them. And he would also become known to the shop owners and workers in the shopping centre, but he was seen as harmless by everyone. And that, he, that's the,
1: the problem he made, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. the problem he made with his first approach was that it was all very slapdash and last minute and kind of rash, wasn't it? Um approach he's now taking is to gain everyone's um support like um you know have them on on his side like oh he's innocent he's a nice guy he's very friendly kids and adults he's talking to everyone he's not creep um he's going about it the right way isn't he because um they're gonna they're gonna just think he's he's harmless
0: but he he's had years to plan and also years in prison to torture over
1: yeah, sex offenders. sex offenders to find out how like tips of the tra- yeah. tips and tricks of the trade, isn't it?
0: Exactly. God, this is awful. So yeah, he was seen as harmless, and he would tell all the shop workers and owners that he had a family of his own, which is why he liked talk to, talking to everyone, even the kids. So slowly but surely, the friendly chats with the children became longer and longer, and he made it known that he had a flat above the shopping centre. Now one of the one or two kids to start with went at first, but gradually it became known as a place to hang out for kids in the area. He had videotapes to watch, games to play. He had cigarettes. He had alcohol. He had the things that attract, unfortunately, children. Now to the innocent to the innocent kids, it was a place with no adult supervision. They could do what they wanted. Now the police would later believe that he was in contact with around 70 children and at least 40 of them would use his, use his flat regularly. Now two girls in particular got his attention. So he focused on them in his words, yeah. In his words, he fell in love with them. They were 11 and 10 years old. So twisted was his, was his infatuation. He asked a 10-year-old to marry him over 40 times.
1: What? Oh, my God. And did it, this 10-year-old obviously never raised any flags to her family.
0: Not at but the time.
1: He got to do it 40 times.
0: Yeah, because he was grooming her, wasn't he?
1: Oh, my God.
0: Now, most of the children kept quiet about his flat, but some didn't. They told their parents they would go there. So when he was confronted by their parents... He managed to manipulate them, as well as the children. He convinced the parents that he was simply offering them a place to go, that without his flat, they'd be hanging around the street, and they may even be the target of predators. Some of the parents would even go sometimes to the flat to check up on the kids. And here is what one 37-year-old mother who went to the flat would say. Nothing untoward would ever happen, Probably because the children were, were always in groups. But all we knew, he could have been perfectly normal. But then I noticed he had a preference for children, and it gave me the creeps. It didn't actually stop the children going there, but he gave me the creeps. I added that bit at the end, obviously. He yeah. didn't say that. No. So by 1998, he got back to the police about Hopkinson. So they visited him, and they warned him about his associations with children. But... They couldn't stop him. They had no proof of a crime and they couldn't even warn the parents about his past. They were not allowed to divulge it to anyone. So towards the end of 1998, the police got notification that he was still associating with children. So they opened up a new investigation. They spoke to several children, but none of them admitted that they had been abused. Of text, course you wouldn't, know. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, that, again...
0: It... <laughs> It's Peer pressure because if, if all the kids saw each all all the other kids and all the kids pretended that they're having a great time there and yeah. nothing was happening, yeah. if it was happening to you, you'd be thinking, I'm the only one, I'd better yeah. say yeah. nothing, do nothing. And
1: that's how they operate, isn't it? Like, yeah. This is our special time, this is you know, just a se- te- top secret between me and you. And if you do tell, you know, something bad might happen to your parents, they might you might get taken away from them. Like they use that abuse of power, don't they? Yeah, um, so the kids things like that will be whirring around their heads and embarrassment as well like I I've I've read so many stories of grown men and women just feeling ashamed and yeah you know the reason why they've only come forward in their adult years are because you know they finally felt like it was time to speak up in a minute but at the time they just feel embarrassed and ashamed and it's like absolutely nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about
0: Exactly. Exactly, Rachel, you, you said that perfectly. But Detective Sergeant Doug Bilk would say this. We spoke to several children who had been to his flat, but there was no evidence of anything illegal. Through our inquiries, we discovered a girl who it seemed he had assaulted, but there was, and this was one of the girls, the 11 and 10-year-old, uh, who it seemed had been assaulted, but there was still a lot of work to get corroborate, corroborating evidence. So, yeah, the girl he is talking about is one of the two I mentioned earlier. And later, Hopkinson would admit to 11 charges of assault against them. But that's at a later date. Not yet. The date the police spoke to the girl who said that she had been assaulted was the 27th of December 1998. The police did go to speak to him and inform him he was under investigation, but they didn't arrest him yet. He just told him that they was looking into it. Now, this made... I don't like using the word unfortunately here, but I don't know what else word to use. Unfortunately, this made Hopkinson realise that his time was numbered, and he hadn't completed his ultimate mission. He wanted two girls. On the 19th of January, 1999, it was a Tuesday morning. It was cold, it was damp, and it was wet outside. And two 10-year-old girls... Charlene Lunan and Lisa Hudless were walking to school. When Adam pulled up next to them in his car or in his parents' car, he pulled up under the pretense of needing directions and he got out and asked them. As Lisa, because was messing about on the side of the street on the way to school, as Lisa was about to tell him, he grabbed her. He, had, he put his hand across her mouth and the other arm picking her up and he bundled her into the boot of his car. Now out of fear and worry for his friend, for her friend, sorry, Charlene compliantly allowed him to grab her and put her in the boot of his car as well under his command. This time though, there was no parents taking license plate numbers. There was no witnesses. Not a single person saw anything. When they were reported missing, the police initially thought that they had run away. Now this was because they had mentioned running away to one of their friends in the past, and one of the girls even had wrote about it in in her diary. So as far as the police were concerned, they had simply vanished, and they believed that if they had been taken, somebody would have seen or heard something. Now reports came in of the children, or kids matching their descriptions, being seen in London, and that just reinforced the police's thoughts that they had run away. Now, again, I could go into lots of details here, but I won't. But in the boot of the car, while they were in the boot of his car, he initially took them to his parents' bungalow because they were on holiday in Australia.
1: Oh, my God. he He's very, there's a very fortunate chain of events there that's allowing him to facilitate this, yeah. isn't it?
0: When he arrived at their house, he put Lisa in a big black sports bag first before taking her out of the car took her into the house in the bag, and then once he took her into her house, he tied her up in a room, and he abused her while Charlene was in the boot. When he finished abusing Lisa, he then went and did the exact same thing with Charlene. He told the girls that he was holding them for ransom, and as long as they behaved and he got paid, he'd let them go. He then put the girls back in the bags and into the boot of the car, and he took them to his flat. Now over the next four days, he would rape and abuse them repeatedly. He took them to the beach and he dangled them over the edge of a cliff, but he didn't drop them. Now he told them that they knew his name now. So he didn't know what to do with them.
1: Oh my God. So so he, he when he took them to the beach, this was like in the evening, I take it, when oh, like, no one's around. In the, in the daytime.
0: daytime. Yeah, there was there was a report I didn't put in, there was a report of um they were just compliant. They were scared. So they were kids. You can't blame them for that. They were No, report...
1: no, no blame here. But... but
0: there was a report after the fact of people seeing him with them, but they didn't think anything of it. They just thought they were his daughters.
1: Can I, can I just say, like, absolutely, like, not suggesting that the girl should have behaved in any other manner. I'm more focusing my efforts on his confidence and cockiness. Yes. Because compliant or not, you do not know. How children are gonna behave? Yeah, yeah. They can at any minute break down, scream, shout. Like this is nineteen ninety nine as well. Yeah. When you know, again, you know, you 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 know about stranger danger, and you know, like, I'm not necessarily saying that um, that they would have like been screaming, "This man's raped me" or anything. That they would even know to use that word, yeah. but they they could they're just unpredictable and the, the level of his cockiness and confidence that he could just brazenly take them out in the middle of the day and, and and show them off like is, is mad again. I'm using that word, but I'm more, I'm more like focused on his behavior being like disgustingly cocky. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. They, he would let them in his flat. He would let them watch TV and they would see the appeals on TV from their parents looking for them. They initially got excited, but by day three, they said that they could tell people, thought that they were dead already. Oh. On day four, the two police officers investing in Hopkinson went to his flat. They say that they would describe it as a hunch, although I'm not sure how much of a hunch it was, because even later reports said it wasn't a hunch. That they uh, just went they just went there because of the initial investigation. It wasn't anything to do with the two girls,
1: sorry, two girls go missing, two teenage yeah. girls. And I appreciate the police have targeted one of them as a runaway. But why wouldn't you be moving down your list of known? yeah, and I know I know he wasn't a child sex offender because the list didn't exist when he did that, but
0: they, they still know what he did,
1: yeah. So you would be moving down that list of, like suspects, even if you had no, Hints on a car or a, an area, like they're your first port of call, aren't they?
0: Well, I guess by that it did exist by then, but obviously he just wasn't on it. But yeah, no, you're right. He wasn't on it. You're exactly right. But yeah, it's it wasn't a hunch, but they said it was a hunch to make themselves look good in the papers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other people, yeah, other people would say that they were just, they were not looking for the girls. They just wanted to talk to him about the first investigation. It was them actually that sparked him into acting like this. If they just investigated him and then arrested him when they had proof, then he wouldn't have been spurred on to complete his ultimate mission. But regardless of why, they knocked on the door and he didn't answer, but then they opened the letterbox and they saw him standing in his flat in just his underpants in the hallway.
1: Oh, my God.
0: They told him to open the door and let them in. He made, he made an excuse that he needed to get dressed, so they let themselves in. And in the bedroom, they found the two girls. Now, during... Sorry.
1: No, sorry, I was just going to say, did they break the door down?
0: Uh, well, it was open, they just opened it. Oh, right, yeah. During the police interviews, he wouldn't deny anything. And he even went into lots of detail about what he had done. Oh, my God. And again, he kept a diary, detailing everything. And I'm not going to go into that detail, but he did. He would be charged with 24 offenses in total, 13 related to Charlene Charlene and Lisa, and 11 to the other two girls I mentioned earlier. Because he pled guilty, there was no trial as such. He would be sentenced on the nine most serious charges to life imprisonment for each charge, with a minimum term of seven years for each of them. For the other 15 charges, he'll be sentenced to five years each. Now, all these sentence were, sentences were to run concurrently, which meant, meaning potentially, he could be out as early as seven years from conviction.
1: It's nothing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Now, you may be wondering, everyone, why am I using the two girls' names? Shouldn't I not be using them to keep their identity hidden? Well, Charlene and Lisa... When they turned 18 and became adults, they waived a the right to be anonymous. They did this so they could campaign on two items. Firstly, they wanted to campaign that Hopkinson should never be released from prison. They wanted him to die behind bars. And secondly, they campaigned to raise awareness and tighten the laws to prevent other girls from going through the same ordeal that they did. And this is what Lisa would say about her ordeal. For a long time after, I was scared of the dark. No child should ever have to go through what I went through. I look at my son, Kyle, and it makes me even more certain we should do more to protect children against paedophiles. The sex offenders register doesn't stop them. They are supposed to be monitored, but they aren't. It's meaningless. I want my child to live in a safer world. And Charlene would say this. The kind of people who do to children what he did to us should be locked away for a long, long time. I hope he lost in hell. So the girls, well, they're now women. They went through so much. And I haven't described it because it would mean I'd have to describe the details. and I just really don't want to. But if anything can be taken from this, it's the fact that now they're dedicating themselves to help others. I mean ideally they wouldn't have to because nothing would have happened to them but at least they found a the strength to do that absolutely yeah. at
1: age 18 as well that's like a pivotal time in your life to waive your anonymity and come forward to like you know champion for what is essentially like you know rights that they, they shouldn't have to champion for them this man yeah. like Surely if he didn't hold anything back, he'd have fully made officers aware that prison only facilitated his desires and and made him better at hiding from people that, uh, that could have, like, raised the flag.
0: Yes, exactly. Now, Hopkinson, over the years, he's been denied parole several times. The last time he was up for parole was this year, in March with Lisa and Charlene campaigning again this year. Every time he's up for parole, they come back out into the um, public to campaign against it.
1: Yeah. And Um, how often does does it come up for parole, did it say? I
0: I believe legally, it doesn't say often he came up for parole, but I believe legally it's every, I think either two or three years they can apply again. And And I'm not sure. That's not a
1: long time, is it?
0: No, not really.
1: The emotional trauma that they must have to go through every two to three years...
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that they are. I think legally, but yeah, you're right. It's it can't be good just having to repeat this over and over. Um, but yeah, he luckily he wasn't released this year, and he I hope he never will be released.
1: Have they indicated why they don't release, or do they not do that in their? Report? Well,
0: ju- just because he they don't do it publicly, but they don't release it. They think someone's still a danger to society. Um, wow. So, so the, the parole
1: board are obviously doing their job. Yeah, wow.
0: over, the, over the years, since he was sent to prison the second time, he's been found with newspaper, newspaper clippings of children in his cells, and he's also been found with DVDs that contain children in them. So, so even, he's
1: not he's not as diligent as he was the first time in prison. Yeah,
0: well, now they know to look, don't they, as well. So yeah. even though he's now in his 70s, I believe this shows that he's clearly still a danger. Oh, yeah. It's just, I imagine, now, I don't want to imagine this, but I imagine that he's probably spent all this time planning and plotting how to take another child if he ever gets out. And he's probably planning to do it pretty quickly because he knows he's going to be monitored now. So Well, that's
1: the thing. He's not intimidated by the prison process, and he's clearly, yeah. like, you know, owns up to everything as well. So, if anything, he's more of a danger because he will act like quickly and irrationally to, yeah. to get you know his desires.
0: Well don't forget he, he spent his first time in prison studying how sex offenders act. So he had better knowledge of himself. So that's like how it's like a, a bank robber studying other bank robbers, isn't it? So they can get better.
1: Doing it's, his homework. Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So to help raise awareness, Lisa and Charlene, they wrote a book. And that's why, again, another reason why I haven't went into a lot of detail. Then the book's called Abducted. It's a first-hand insider account of what it feels like to be kidnapped, how they survived their ordeal, and how they have found a strength to move on. Now, if you've got Kindle and you're in the UK or Ireland, it's just 85 pence on Amazon. Or the paperback version is currently twelve pounds and forty five pence. If you want to know the detail about what happened to them and how they got through it, and it, it's like they go into detail about not just the crime, but stuff like they really hated going to therapy. They were forced to go into therapy afterwards, and they didn't understand why they kept having to go and just talk about what happened all the time and I, well, I can't remember which one now, but one of them managed to get her therapy stopped. So the other one suddenly felt guilty because they thought, well, how come she has been able to get her therapy stopped, but I have to keep going for like... And it was like a year and a half, and so they stopped. They, they, their friendship broke up because of that, but then they obviously they became friends again later on in the teens, and it's just like how they've got on with their lives and channels. I recommend it if you want to read it, everyone. Yeah, he's
1: um he's damaged their lives forever, like,
0: irreparable. Yes. yes. Because, yeah, they describe about how they didn't even, like you said earlier, they said that we didn't even know what rape was. That's yeah. what they said. And they, they described, like, they thought that this was just their lives from now on in. Like, he told them, like, they can't escape through the window because if they jump out and he's in a flat, so their legs are going to get broken. So they just thought, like, this is my life from now on end. Like, this is all I've got. Um, yeah.
1: they're even, even just trusting people in future, like, yes, or, like, yeah, their lives changed irreparably because of his horrible, sinister actions when they were children. And unfortunately, they were of an age where. You know, memories are, are like, solid at that age, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even, like, I think it was Lisa, again, I'm sorry, I'm saying things. I, I, she was saying, like, when he snatched them, she spent years blaming herself because she was on the edge of the street messing about, edge of, like, the pavement. And she felt, like, I think it was, I can't remember which one. And she felt like, um, she felt like if she had just been walking to school normally and not been messing about, he wouldn't have pulled up and grabbed her. Can you imagine
1: just, the parents yeah. as well who discovered in the diary um of one of them that she'd wanted to run away. Can you imagine how badly they felt?
0: Yeah. It was because um the reason why, I mean they planned to run away together, but the reason why because again, I'm sorry I get the two mixed up, but one of them, her natural like birth mother had died recently. Oh. So they were sad about that, and it, she lived with like her dad and a stepmom. So, so that's what caused it. They weren't like unhappy at home or anything. Like just to get that out, they they had a good like family surroundings and and family life. But yeah. it was that like sadness that drove them to think we'll just run away. It wasn't anything to do with them at home. But yeah, imagine they're reading that, and because he would have had to cope with. Obviously, not only his daughter going missing, but the bereavement as well, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah. Oh, crazy.
0: But yeah, so Rachel, this is a sad story today, but one that ends with hope because the two girls have managed to rebuild their lives and they're helping each other now. So yeah, I know we've spoken it already, but what did you think of this one?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's just sick and disgusting and mad. And I'm just so happy that they both survived because I felt like there was ta- a time. I remember you saying at one point, um, you know, that um, police found out that the girls had had to go through something. I was like, right, that means that they survived the ordeal. And I remember thinking, thank God, because if he'd have killed them and then just held his hands up and gone to the police, like, It just would have been even worse, though. Um, You know, although they will have suffered for and will continue to suffer for the rest of their lives, at least they're still here to tell the story and to keep that man behind bars.
0: Exactly. So I think I'm going to wrap this all up now, then, if that's okay, Rich.
1: I would be grateful for that, yep.
0: So this has been Season 3, Episode 16, called Evil Genius. And if it saves you to do so, i like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. The question I have for everyone is, do we really know what a predator looks like? Can you really look at someone and tell? Or, is there potentially a monster in your life right now that you don't know about? Okay, so thank you everyone, and we'll come back next week with... Something a lot lighter. Please do. Okay, goodbye. Bye bye.
1: Bye.